The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Greetings, everyone. Greetings. A happy Monday to you all. We start the seventh week of the Fantasy NBA offseason. I am your host, Dan Vespers, and this is Fantasy NBA Today. Monday, June the 28th, will be in July by the time this week is over. The conference finals are rumbling along at full tilt. They are going, I guess, generally how you'd expect based on the personnel involved. I, I, I will say the Bucks making a an adjustment before the situation got incredibly dire is maybe the surprise of the playoffs so far for me. I You know, I... Ultimately, I thought they'd win this series, and I think that's what I said on my most recent appearance on on VEASAN. I like to reference that so I don't sound like I'm blowing smoke up your butts. Um, I said, look, I think they'll probably win this series in the end, but I thought Milwaukee would, would keep it close in Game 1. Where I was wrong was I thought Milwaukee might keep it close in Game 2 as well. I didn't see the things from Milwaukee, at least in Game 1, that would have given me any confidence that, that they could get things pulled around. But the last couple of ballgames, that's where we'll start this episode— is a quick weekend recap. Milwaukee's looked very good. They uh, ran Atlanta out of the building on Friday, beat them by 34 on their own home court, Milwaukee. Brooke Lopez had a good ball game. Giannis drew. Those guys were very good. Middleton was fine, but it hadn't really woken up yet. But more than anything, you know, they had figured out some of the adjustments they needed to make on defense. Now, admittedly, Trey Young does have a bone bruise in his foot, so that has slowed things down a little bit, and whatever team stays the healthiest seems like the one that's probably going to make it through these playoffs. Uh, But Milwaukee then went on the road in Atlanta and got the big Chris Middleton game. This was the one that, that we'd all been waiting for because he's kind of the key for them winning difficult basketball games when teams are able to do something to Giannis not that the Bucs have done much of a job on him yet but when teams can do anything at all with Giannis it's got to be Middleton that steps up because it's probably not going to be Drew Holiday he's never really been all that comfortable as a higher usage guy he'll have to be it a little bit but not quite to the other point and then Middleton was orchestrating a lot of the pick and roll stuff for Milwaukee in the previous series and so on and so forth but But what's happening here is that Milwaukee is overwhelming the Atlanta defense. They're getting easier looks. They still haven't even been that great from downtown, although Middleton did have that big ball game yesterday. But overall, uh, Milwaukee's playing good basketball. Still, I don't think great. But more than anything, they have done good stuff defensively. They've been able to... Pick a poison, I guess, as opposed to just allowing all of the poisons. And I'm a little surprised, and I, I got to rewatch some of the tape from that last game on Sunday, or maybe I'll just watch some of the tape from the game tomorrow. But I'm a little surprised that Atlanta hasn't had more success at paint packing. Now, maybe is it a discipline thing? I don't know. Is it a scheme thing? I don't know. I'm going to have to stare down the barrel at that. But what I have seen so far is that the Bucks have made an adjustment 
early in a playoff series. It didn't take them to the fifth, sixth, seventh game to figure this thing out. They did it in game two. They've continued to do it in game three, which is trying to run a little bit, rebounding the crap out of the basketball. Uh, get it and go. Don't let the Hawks settle and don't get into your own half-court offense, which for the Bucks isn't as good. It's pretty damn good when Chris Middleton is hitting his shots, but it's not as good as some of the other teams in the playoffs when the game slows down. So what we've seen in this series so far is the Bucks scoring 113 in the first game, a loss, 125 in the second game, a win, and then one, excuse me, I think it was 113 again in game three, an, a victory. But the real key here is that you've seen Atlanta's efficiency dip as the series has gone on. That first ball game went over the posted total. It was a pretty fast ball game, but not an overwhelmingly fast ball game. It was just relatively fast, which was, to a certain degree, kind of good enough that went about the speed. And then, as playoff series tend to do, this one's actually sort of followed the script a little bit. It has slowed down. Game by game, it has slowed down. I think the pace went from Atlanta like underachieving by a point or two to then they underachieved by quite a few in that second ball game, but just from a strict how fast is the ball game going. Uh, Milwaukee had a ton of possessions in game two, so I don't want to undersell that. The, the massive rebounding advantage playing a large role, and then there were a lot of turnovers in that basketball game as well. Game three, the turnovers were back to within sort of a normal region. Uh, but the Bucks are trying to move. They're trying, to, they're trying to go. They had about 110 possessions in Game 3, which is good. Uh, Atlanta had about 104. So again, the big rebounding advantage playing a large role. Neither one of these teams overwhelmed from an efficiency standpoint because they both shot the free throw poorly. That's the main culprit there. So if you're looking at this last ballgame, the pace was pretty much right on the posted total of 115. Something got attacked by a bug right in the middle of the podcast. What are you going to do about that? Just keep going. Um, so, you know, we're not ready to talk about tomorrow's ball game. Atlanta's uh, seven-point underdog, total of 219.5 now, so that's been coming down a little bit. We are getting damn close, however, to where the total is going to be right. The problem is the injury bug. We'll talk about that on tomorrow's podcast today first of all you can follow me on twitter at dan Bespris. you can go to hoop-ball.com you can follow at hoopball tweets for all of the good stuff you can check out the all rookie podcast i told you about last week hoopball's newest show hosted by the great william harris with a mock draft yes someone over here will tell you about the young guys it's not me but someone's gonna do it also of note we will have an additional new podcast debuted Probably later on today, if I had to guess. So I can't give it away on today's podcast, but I can tell you all about it tomorrow. And if you want to know what it is, you should just follow at Hoopball Tweets because, you know, everything else goes out from that angle. If you're going to sign up for an account with our buddies over at mybookie.ag, please let me know. I have cash prizes I want to get to you. If you're going to do something over at manscaped.com, you don't have to tell me. In fact, I would beg of you, please don't. I don't want to know what you're trimming. However, if you do like what you get at manscaped.com, feel free to let me know. I can let our contacts over there know. Manscaped.com, promo code is HOOPBALL20 
to get 20% off and free shipping on your order. HoopBall20, again, HoopBall, all one word, 2-0, the numbers for 20% off and free shipping on your order. Doesn't even have to be the Lawnmower 4.0. If you don't want to get the big expensive thing, it's not that expensive, but compared to the other stuff it is, you can get nail clippers, ear and nose hair, trimmer, boxers, t-shirts, lotions, shaving gels, powders. They got all sorts of good stuff over there. So please do check out manscaped.com using promo code HoopBall20. And now we can officially dive into the game of the evening. And that's the Clippers in Phoenix with the Suns on the precipice. Suns favored by six. Still no Kawhi Leonard on the Clippers side. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I, I actually, I was kind of impressed truthfully, with what the Clippers did at home in the last two ball games, They beat the Suns in Game 3. Chris Paul had a terrible shooting game in that one. We talked a lot about how poorly he shot the basketball. And then he was pretty awful again in Game 4. No one could score in that ball game. Final score is Phoenix 84, Clippers 80. So not surprisingly, the posted totals come way down from 217.5 before Game 4. Game 5 is at 212.5 tonight. And this is a series that has, for the most part, drifted that direction. Game 1 had a high total. Nobody was guarding anyone. Shots were falling, 234 damn points. Game 2 was the one where we took the under on the podcast. That was a pretty easy victory. Game 3, we went back to the well with another under and hit. And Game 4, I just had no idea. I thought maybe it was time to start looking back at the over, in fact, with the number just continuing to drop. I thought maybe it was opening up something. Um, and I actually still kind of feel that way because let me, let me walk you through some of this stuff here. First of all, I don't think that this is magically going to become a series where everybody has energy and scoring is just happening willy nilly. But I will point out that in game four, the Clippers scored 80 points on 83 field goal attempts and the Suns scored 84 points on 86 field goal attempts and that can belie other stuff that was going on 86 doesn't sound like all that many but 14 turnovers and 21 free throws and again we'll do sort of the fuzzy math game here they had about 110 possessions so that is a truly atrocious effort in the scoring calm clippers or Suns rather shot 36 percent and if you thought that was bad the Clippers had 10 turnovers and 32 free throws. So they continued their dominance from the free throw line. And somehow they again only put up 80 points despite having about 109 possessions of their own. So I might argue, I might argue that this series, the, the Suns, again, you'll have more possessions when everybody's missing shots because it's going to be defensive rebounds than teams are going to get up the floor and generally move a little bit quicker but you're looking at two teams that basically had 110 possessions each and that's why when I when I talked about the 217 and a half seeming like maybe it might be time to start looking back at the over it was based on the fact that if these teams are scoring about a point per possession you would have gotten to close to 220 previous games in the series had a slightly slower pace than this last game simply because again Made shots will slow the pace down a little bit. So as I look at Game 5 now, with this posted total of 212 and a half, 
My great fear is really that the teams are so damn tired that they're just not going to have the legs to make shots late, much like the last ballgame. The team scored, what did the two teams score? They scored like 35 points in the whole second half combined. And that could happen again, but at the same time, you've now started to open up value above the number. Additionally, if the Clippers find themselves down four with about 30 seconds to go, they'll probably start fouling early. A couple of free throws, a three-pointer, a couple of free throws, a three-pointer. Suddenly, you've got 10 points in 12 game seconds, and that's another very fast way to get over the mark. A team is about to be eliminated from the playoffs, which is a possibility tonight. They're not going to go down without fouling a bunch of times and just going for the full Hail Mary, foul, three-pointer, foul. I mean, they may foul until they're down six or seven and then just hope, okay, maybe we can get a three, get a steal, get another three, just keep trying, do anything to keep the ball game from actually hitting its conclusion. Now, if Phoenix is up like 9 or 10 with 10 seconds to go, that's just the end of it. But if it's 9 or 10, hell, if Phoenix is up 6 or 7 points with like 50 seconds to go, you might see the Clippers start to foul early there too, especially if they hit a shot. So I actually lean back to the over in this ballgame. I don't much care for the side uh, with, with as tightly as the two teams have played lately. I do think the Suns have a better chance to start making some of their looks. Chris Paul's been getting to his elbow jumper. It just hasn't been going down for him. So lean to the night to the over. And that is your one playoff game this evening. Back on the fantasy side of the ledger, it's time to start exploring the NBA. Pa-da-pa-pow! It's time to start exploring the NBA. And when I say that, I mean it because it's time to do our team-by-team breakdown. I am in doing this in no particular order. Sometimes we start on the eastern seaboard, sometimes we start out west, and we just move our way across the various divisions of basketball. So, what I think this works out relatively well is that we'll pretty much have the NBA done right when we hit free agency, and then we can kind of make our adjustments to the things we've talked about already. So what I'd like to do is start in the Western Conference and the Pacific Division, and we'll just start with the team that I root for um, on a non-fantasy side, and that's the Los Angeles Lakers. So let's begin the journey, and we'll just sort of follow it where it goes. The Lakers finished this last year at 42 and 30, by all accounts a disappointment, but at the same time, it's pretty easy to figure out why things went the way they did. They were without LeBron James for a month and a half. They were without Anthony Davis for basically half the season. And when you miss your two superstars, you're just not going to be very good. From a contractual standpoint, the free agents for the Lakers, the most notable one is Dennis Schroeder, who was making $15.5 million just last year. He declined an offer of an extension with the Lakers to test free agency. Early on, it sounded like he really did want to be back. He's a good fit for L.A. as a point guard who can defend his position, who can be a creator when LeBron is not on the floor. There was some animosity towards him in the playoffs because he wasn't very good, but this is also a guy who was coming back from COVID right before the playoffs, lest we forget. How do these guys look when they've taken time off? Just look at Chris Paul, and he didn't even have symptoms. It doesn't take much to throw a guy off their rhythm. So I think the Lakers will make a good chance to try to sign Schroeder, but we can try to break this down with and without him. Other free agents, a little bit less notable, Wesley Matthews 
Alex Caruso, who's been a really nice addition to the team, but from a fantasy standpoint, has been a non-factor. Jared Dudley, I don't know. Dude is making $2.5 million. They should just make him a coach at this point. Markeith Morris, who sounds like he wants to be back. Taylor Horton Tucker is, uh, I believe he's a restricted free agent, but I might be getting that one wrong. Andre Drummond, who will almost undoubtedly end up elsewhere. Ben McLemore, and uh, I think that's it for folks that actually played on the team this year. Luol Deng still making money, by the way, for one more season, so that's uh, kind of funny. From a fantasy standpoint, the Lakers are who we thought they were, which was there wasn't much in the way of fantasy value. There was never going to be. This was always going to be a two-man operation, AD and LeBron. The issue, of course, for the Lakers grew beyond that to, well, let's approach this from a different angle. At the beginning of the season, we mentioned that there was a possibility the Lakers might have a third fantasy player, and that might have been Montrez Harrell. But right from the outset, it always seemed like that was going to be a bit of a long shot, if only because the Lakers had big man options. Montrezl Harrell was able to carve out the value he did with the Clippers because the other center was Ivica Zubats. And as much as Clippers fans, Clippers Twitter really would have you believe that Zubats is this, like a shining unicorn... He's not. He's a solid backup center. But Montrez Harrell can score. He could create. He could be part of the pick and roll in a different way than, uh, than Zubats can. Defensively, we know they each have their liabilities. And so Montrez got a lot of opportunity with L.A. that last year. Clippers, I should say. This season with the Lakers, the minutes were bound to go down. They had Marcus Gasol they added to the board. They already had Anthony Davis. I know that Dwight Howard was no longer on the team, and they traded JaVale McGee. But just from a personnel standpoint, there wasn't a great opportunity to play Montrez Harrell and AD alongside one another. Because what are you going to do? Make Montrez the four? Then you got him clogging up the paint. If you make Anthony Davis the four, then you don't have... Well, you still have that same issue of paint clogging, but now all of a sudden you don't have your best rim protector guarding the five at the other end, and it's just a mess. Your best lineup is AD at the five, but we know the Lakers don't want to do that all season long because it beats up an Anthony Davis that was already beat up this year. So, like usual, we mostly avoided Lakers on draft day, including this season, the superstars. I was willing to take the risk on Anthony Davis in one spot, and it was obviously it turned out to be a terrible decision. He played exactly half the games this year, 36 out of 72 in the regular season, but we always knew it was going to be a big issue going into the season, specifically because of their long playoff run. And I know I'm sort of rehashing the same old stuff here, but LeBron James was arguably the most vocal opponent, opponent to the fast turnaround. So you knew there were going to be issues this year, whether it was going to be rest days or what, there was no chance that AD LeBron was playing all 72 games. I think we came into this season with the expectation those guys would probably play around 60 if nothing else went wrong. With LeBron, you can usually assume not much else will go wrong. And then, of course, you had the fluke Solomon Hill dive that caused the high ankle sprain. If this was just LeBron you know, landing on his own feet, he recovers pretty damn well from that stuff. He's turned an ankle a couple of times, but it usually doesn't cost him much. We know Anthony Davis 
we make jokes on this podcast about him having irritable bowel syndrome, and that's why he's constantly back in the locker room. But simple fact is he's just, he's sort of too big for his own build in that he's long and lean and his body's supposed to be about a foot shorter, but it got to seven feet and now it doesn't really know how to operate without tweaking things. And that's always going to cost him a handful of games, five, six, seven, eight, whatever it was going to be. So if you added that to the scheduled rest days, we were probably looking at Anthony Davis at somewhere in like the 55 to, yeah, I guess 55 is a relatively reasonable guess for him, which probably made the first, you know, top two, top three pick decision on AD pretty suspect. The reason I was willing to take the plunge is that there are times he's been so good that even missing 20% of the games in a year, he could still have been a top three player. What I did not foresee was Anthony Davis taking a hit in basically every peripheral stat. You name the stat, peripheral or central, whatever you want to call it, uh, and it and it was terrible. <laughs> he went down in everything. Um and I think a lot of that was just aggression. His number of shots went down by one. His field goal percent went down by one. His free throws went down by three, basically. His, field, his free throw percent was a career low, 74% this year, after hitting 85% last season. Rebounding down from 9.3 to 7.9. Assists down from 2.5 to 2.1. Steals down, blocks way down from 2.3 to 1.6. Minutes per game down by two. It was a mess. It was a mess. This was Anthony Davis's worst season maybe since his sophomore year in New Orleans. Which, it's very easy to say that this was a miss for any of us that took a plunge on him on draft day. And it very much was. But I choose to look at the Lakers situation from a different lens. First of all, we should keep an eye on who's actually back with this team next year. Because Marcus Gasol is actually signed for another season, and the Lakers will be wise to actually let him play sometimes because offensively they were a lot better with him orchestrating. We'll see how that goes. Defensively, he can't move anymore, so there's a lot of ways to sort of play him off the floor. But what do they do? They bring back Markeith Morris. Would that allow Montrez Harrell to uh, do a bit more? Harrell, by the way a player option for $10 million. He could very well opt out and go try to get a longer deal elsewhere. I don't know that he would get much more than 10 mil, but there's a possibility he's not back either. So if Montrez is gone and the Lakers say sign Markeith Morris, you're looking at a weird outside path for Keefe to maybe have a little bit of value next year. Not standard league, but something to keep an eye on. Same deal kind of for Marcus Sol, as both of those guys probably end up logging like, 20 to 22 minutes of ball game without other center options. Do the Lakers make a trade in the offseason? We don't know. These things are all swirling. So let's focus on what we do know, which is that LeBron James and Anthony Davis are going to be Lakers on opening night of this coming season. That's not changing at all. I think they felt like they were, and especially now looking at the way the playoffs have gone, if the Lakers were fully healthy in these playoffs, they probably are making the finals. I had them beating the Clippers, but then Kawhi Leonard, or I had the Clippers beating the Lakers in my bracket, but then Kawhi Leonard got hurt, and Lakers were beating the Suns before Anthony Davis went down. I know Suns are like, well, we didn't have Chris Paul for a game and a half. Yeah, but, like, 
LeBron was at 80%, AD was at 40%. <laughs> it, yeah, everybody was hurt. I get it. I'll go back to my first thought, which is if anybody could stay healthy, they will win the title this season. But I'm just talking about from a psychological standpoint, LeBron and AD, they looked at the season and they went, look, we were really good before everyone got hurt. Weren't the Lakers like 13 or 14 games over 500? Month and a half, two months into the season? And then AD went down and then LeBron went down and they just sort of treaded water the rest of the way? Lakers were on their way to being in a top three seed again pretty easily. So I don't think they feel like they need to do anything dramatic. I feel like if, if I'm the Lakers superstars, I looked at this team and thought, I want Dennis Schroeder back. He was great for them before the COVID stuff at the end of the year and the semi-playoff disappearing act, but it didn't really matter. They weren't beating the Suns without AD anyway. KCP is still around who's kind of their floor spacer, if you can even call it that. Lakers got to go out, and they got to figure out a way to get a little more shooting. Markeith Morris has been, I think, a pretty good addition for them on the cheap. If they could bring back Alex Caruso, that'd be swell, but I don't, I don't know that they could. I think a lot of people saw him play and, and liked what they saw. Uh, but Montrezl Harrell really didn't fit what that team needed. They need shooting. They should, if, they, if he declines his player option, that money needs to go towards someone who can get out there, space the floor, and maybe even defend a little bit. They're not going to be perfect. But then what about the fantasy side? That's all we should really care about here. I know I get a little bit lost in the weeds because this is the team that once the playoffs hit and my fantasy seasons are done, this is the team I'm rooting for. There's a potential for post-hype activity on this Lakers team, specifically Anthony Davis, more so than LeBron. Because LeBron, no matter how bad he looked this year, and he didn't, that's not fair. LeBron didn't look bad. He still looked like one of, if not the best player in the NBA. He averaged 25, 8, and 8. But there were all the areas, like with Anthony Davis, where things were sort of peeling back for LeBron James. We can go through them now, just... For posterity, to, for, for th- to be thorough, minutes were down by one, back down to uh, closer to his career mark, actually, in, in regular season minutes of 33 and change. The uh, number of shots was down by one, much like with Anthony Davis. Number of three-pointers actually stayed the same, so he eliminated a two-point shot. Free throws stayed exactly the same during the regular season. Rebounds the same, scoring the same assists down by two and a half. Does that mean guys weren't hitting shots? Does that mean the guys around him didn't do their job? Or does that mean that the Lakers were comfortable running a bit more offense through Schroeder, through Marc Gasol in the high post, just doing other things so that LeBron didn't have to be the guy starting every single offensive set? And I think if the Lakers had their druthers, they probably would have had his minutes closer to 32 even. But next season is going to be, I don't know, I hate to call it a last hurrah for LeBron James because he's still incredible. But this coming year, he's making $41 million. The following year with the Lakers, he's making $44.5. But it doesn't even matter. That part doesn't even matter. LeBron is, he's younger than me, but not by a ton. Eh, okay, like a year and a half. But I'll tell you what. 
I don't feel that great when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> I'm not that old. And this dude, with that amount of activity, at some point, he will slow down a little bit. We don't know when that's going to be. We don't. We could try to claim that we know. Well, we could say it's going to be this year, every single year, and eventually we'd be right one time. But we don't really know. What we do know is that he knows that there's a clock on all of this, that he'll turn 37 during this upcoming NBA season. And guys don't play at that level beyond 37, at least not much longer. So if you're the Lakers and if you're LeBron James, you're looking at this coming season as maybe the last real good chance for him to win a title as the alpha. At some point soon, the Lakers are going to need a new alpha. And I don't think it's Anthony Davis. Much as I love Anthony Davis, and there are stretches where he's more important to what they do than LeBron James is because of what a, what Anthony Davis can do on the defensive end when he's really locked in. I don't... He offensively, he's not a creator the way that LeBron is, the way that that James can get everyone involved and is a passing savant, the likes of which you see once, maybe twice in a generation. Who's going to be that guy? It's not coming from within. It's going to have to be a free agent, probably. I don't know what else the Lakers could trade at this point. Not exactly stockpiled with youngsters. We heard rumors that they might be able to get Kyle Lowry in a trade. Maybe they try to sign him this offseason. I don't know where that money comes from. But he's also on the older side. But just start brainstorming about where this alpha goes, and you think, okay, well, what does that mean for this coming fantasy season? One of the big lessons, and I'll be talking about this basically on every single team we go over, one of the biggest lessons I don't think I factored into this season enough is what is the overarching story about the season in question? The Lakers are a really good example of that. I handicapped them to be beleaguered off the championship in the deep playoff bubble run. I handicapped that. But what I didn't handicap was the the there was at times a bit of a lack of a desire, I think, to go whole hog during the regular season. And, I mean, on top of the fact that injury ended up setting in anyway... These are the narratives around a team we have to be really aware of. The Thunder. I think we all knew that eventually they would tank for picks, but we all thought it was going to be like three weeks left to go in the year. And it was like two months to go. They just started losing by 30 every single ball game, benched everyone, including young guys. So what is that storyline around the Lakers next year? I think that storyline is LeBron knows... There's one, maybe two more of these in the tank. So he's going to be laser-focused. I think he's going to be playing really good basketball. I think that they also want to try to keep him in check during the regular season. But I also think that with fans back in arenas, the Lakers are probably going to want a little home court. So this coming season, you will likely see the Lakers trying pretty hard again I think Anthony Davis is going to be going easy, 
but I also think he wants to try to make it through the year. So handicap LeBron missing, I don't know, call it 10 games for injury and rest and put AD at like 12 for injury and rest, but not the stuff we saw this year, which was we knew those guys were going to sit at least 10 games. So if anything else went wrong, then it was going to really rack up. Next season, I think those guys probably sit like five or six on purpose, and then you can handicap another six to eight in for Anthony Davis and maybe another four or five for LeBron, and that's probably a better way to get there. From just a statistical standpoint, with Anthony Davis, you're banking on whether or not you think his free throw shooting comes back because that was the big... I mean, we saw everything was down for him, particularly blocks, but there was a mental thing going on and if you're willing to take the plunge on him overcoming that, great. Here's the issue with the bounce back or with the post-hype stuff. It's a little bit dicey to spend a first-round pick on someone you think might be a post-hype guy. The reason that you might do it is if, say, Anthony Davis falls to the end of the first round. Could you get Anthony Davis at 10 next year? Maybe. Think about the guys that finished in the top 10 this season and how many of those guys might get drafted in front of Anthony Davis next year how far do we think he might fall because with LeBron he's going to probably get drafted on the turn no matter what doesn't matter how good or bad he was the previous year he's LeBron James he'll get drafted in the first round people forgive him for missing a game they forgive him for anything not that he's needed that much forgiveness but the free throw shooting has actually needed quite a bit of it this year Nikola Jokic Steph Curry Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Dame, Vooch, Cat. Those are basic. That's your, your top ten or eleven guys. I forgot how many names I just said. How many of those guys do we think get drafted in front of Anthony Davis next year? Jokic, Steph, Harden, Towns, Giannis, maybe Luca. If you want to go beyond the top ten. Do we think anybody else could possibly slide in in front of Anthony Davis? I would have said Jason Tatum, but people for some reason thought he had a really bad year and he actually was pretty good by all accounts, like decent. Could Kawhi Leonard go in front of him? I doubt it. He's banged up too. Could Jimmy Butler? Nah. Embiid or Kevin Durant? Possibly. People thought KD might play more games next year. There's a chance. Embiid could go in front of him. Embiid doesn't play that many games, but he had this explosion of a season, so there's a possibility there. So there's actually a, a, a weird route to AD falling to pick 9 or 10, at which point he does now become a post-hype guy. Because Anthony Davis, and I know this year he was at 50%, but if you can get him at 80% or better, he beats the top 10. I think the free throw shooting gets better next year. I think the blocks get better next year. He just didn't have any health this season. He had no spring. There were like three games all season long where he really looked like Anthony Davis. And I don't think it's like the beginning of the downslope for him. I think it's the dude was gassed. And he tried to play through it, but there was never a time for his body to fully recover. So it was just like every game he got a little bit more broken down until he broke down. If you have the 10th pick and you take Anthony Davis, your ship could be sunk if he misses half the season again. But I really don't think that's happening again. I really don't. You're going to get your normal 
dings and bruises and nicks and cuts and whatever on AD. But I don't think you're missing 36 games. And go ahead and just pair him. Again, if you have the 10th pick, so it's 11, 12, 13, 14, you have the 15th pick as well. Take someone at 15 that's extraordinarily durable and reliable, and then that way if one guy does miss 20, if AD misses 22 games or something like that, your season isn't completely lost. Take Tatum. If not for COVID protocols, he's in there pretty much every damn ballgame. What is sore knee like two times or something? Take Bradley Beal. He's always in there. Who, do, who could also fall to 15 that's extraordinarily durable? I don't know. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there when we see what some of the pre-rankings come out as. But I, I do think that there's a, a chance that next year is one that sees people so soured on AD missing half the year that he now finally falls out of that top tier and maybe even out of the sub-top tier, which I just mentioned is like the Joel Embiid, uh, Tatum, who the hell else, Kawhi, these guys that are just below the uppermost, Jokic, Curry, Harden, basically. Dame, Dame is maybe just behind that click as well. You know what's really funny? I don't think Vooch gets drafted that high next year. <laughs> People don't like him. I don't know why, but they don't. That's fine. We can talk about him when we get to the Chicago Bulls. Everybody else in the Lakers, they can all go to fantasy hell for all I care. I, I don't want anything to do with him. Dennis Schroeder wasn't good. His his fantasy game requires far more usage. LeBron's going to always be overdrafted no matter what you expect out of him. KCP doesn't do anything relevant. Kyle Kuzma's fantasy game is super whack. Closest thing you get is, like a, is it, again, if there's no center replacement, is Mark Gasol. Because on a per-game basis, Gasol was actually pretty functional this year. He only averaged 19 minutes a game. He was at five points, four boards, two assists, half a block, and a steal. In a magical universe where he gets up to like 23 minutes a game, he's probably about a top 120 kind of guy. So there's there are some small, stubby little legs on the Mark Gasol uh more it's slightly deeper league type of thing because you're not getting any upside there but you know that was in the interest of just throwing out a name on the lakers that might get close to fantasy value i i just i wouldn't take a shot on these other guys i wouldn't take a shot of montrez harrell he also needs to take a bunch of shots and rebound and probably won't the other guys on the lakers are not per 36 type of dudes schroeder kcp harrell kuzma Gasol, Markeith if he comes back, Taylor Horton Tucker. None of these guys jump out as massive per 36 type dudes. And if if you're looking at the end of a fantasy draft, we talked about this already, the guys you want to draft in that 100 through 180 or however deep your fantasy league goes are guys that are per 36 monsters, where if they just tumble nose first into 25 minutes instead of 19, you've got yourself a hell of a fantasy option. Don't spend pick 133 on, I don't, who the hell were we just talking about? On Montrez. He'll probably go earlier than that. Or on KCP, these guys that, yeah, sure, Montrez Harrell might play 23, 24, 25 minutes of ballgame next year, and KCP might play 30 for all I know. But these guys just don't put up numbers in that amount of time in this setting. Montrez could maybe do it somewhere else, but not as the fourth fiddle. If Schroeder comes back, you ain't getting many shots. 
Too many fiddles. And that's your Lakers wrap-up. Tuesday show, tomorrow, we'll probably do the Clippers. Who cares? I mean, we'll do another team in the Pacific Division. It's easy. We don't have to plot out what order the teams are coming in. We got all the team data in front of us. We'll break it all down. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Have a great Monday, everybody. Enjoy the playoff game tonight. Back at you tomorrow. Again, make sure to follow me on Twitter at Dan Vespers. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Follow HoopBall at Hoopball Tweets. Check out our brand new podcasts. And hit me up if you want to start our first non-sports podcast in the history of hoop-ball.com. So long for now. 